0: Hello and welcome to the Engaged Midwife Podcast. I'm Missy, and this is Kara. And today's episode is going to be all about newborn care.
1: Yeah, this is a topic that a lot of midwives don't feel really comfortable with, so I'm excited to talk about it with you today.
0: And the core competencies for midwifery care actually say that we can be providers for the well newborn up to 28 days of life. So even though we don't see it a lot in clinical practice, it's definitely something that we need to be have to have our eye on.
1: Yeah, and I know this is a topic that you really like, Missy. So I'm curious, what do you think some of the most important things are that midwives should know about newborn care?
0: Well, I think the first hour transition is really important. What's happening with the baby as they transition from intrauterine life to extrauterine life and just kind of understanding what has to happen for a baby to transition, Um, I think that's important. I also think it's important to understand, like, what are we looking at when we see a baby that's just been birthed? Are they term? Are they preterm? Are they exhibiting, you know, features of something that we, you know, that's a deviation? So just the idea of understanding assessment. But I think it's really important for midwives to understand when there's a cluster of symptoms that may indicate that there's a problem. And so it's, it's, it's a bit of memorization, but also I think it's one of those things like once you know it, you'll always
1: know it. Right. So there's, when you say clusters, I'm assuming you mean that there are certain characteristics that kind of cluster together that might lead you to think of a particular problem. Is that right? Right. And I think that there are some specific clusters
0: that are important for students and as well as practicing midwives that we should be thinking about. And um, some of those are respiratory, and so I'll break some of those down in, in terms of the respiratory ones, and then some of them are infection-related, and then some of them have to do with, you know, things like hypoglycemia and hypothermia.
1: Great. I, I think I'm going to learn a lot from you today, and I hope everyone else does as well. Where should we start?
0: Um, I think we should just start maybe with the respiratory things, and it's funny because you, in one of our podcasts, you said that you're a birth junkie, and I'm a birth junkie as well, but I love babies. And I love taking care of them. I I love that you love babies. (laughs) (laughs) We always are punting to each other about the things that we really like. Yes. So let's start with some of the respiratory things. Perfect. And there's like three big respiratory kinds of um, clusters that I think are important for us to recognize. Um, And the first one's pretty simple. So the first one is transient tachypnea of the newborn. That's TTN. And TTN happens when maybe the baby hasn't really cleared its lungs the way it's supposed to on the way out when it takes those first few breaths.
1: So when you say that, I think of like precipitous deliveries or potentially, you know, C-section babies for sure. Absolutely. So the idea
0: of a quick second stage and, or a baby that has been delivered by cesarean and hasn't had a chance to get a
1: good squeeze. I was just going to say that great squeeze. Yeah. Yep.
0: So, and it it's not very prevalent. It's only about 5.5% up to point five percent of all um infants but it happens right away yeah and it's something that you just need to think about and when you when you look at the signs and symptoms and the cluster for transient tachypnea really it all it is is fast breathing for 12 to 24 hours and it doesn't have any other associated signs or symptoms and it will resolve as soon as the baby clears all of that fluid from their lungs
1: now you will occasionally get some grunting and flaring with it right yes yeah but then it really is all about the breathing we don't have all of those other signs and symptoms like infectious kind of problems
0: right and with transient tachypnea it it very much is self-limiting Okay. And so that's an easy one to remember because kind of what it is is in the name of it. Mm-hmm. Transient, i.e. self-limiting, and tachypnea. The baby's just breathing fast. Right. So that's a great one to start with because it kind of builds a foundation for some
1: of the other respiratory clusters. Great. And we I don't think we're going to get a ton into treatment today. But one of the things that helps, obviously, with TTN is getting kiddo to clear out those that, that fluid. And so lots of crying. That kind of idea is helpful. And you
0: have to be careful when you feed those babies because because they're breathing so fast, it's hard for them to suck, swallow, and breathe. And so you worry about things like aspiration. Absolutely. Okay. So the next respiratory cl- um, cluster that I think is important is really what we would consider respiratory distress syndrome. And so respiratory distress can happen when there's not enough surfactant. Um, and then you just don't get that good alveolar expansion when the baby takes a breath.
1: And this is mostly in our premature babies. Is that right? Or early term?
0: Yes. It's way more common in preterm babies because they don't have the surfactant that they need, which is why we would give surfactant to a Mm -hmm. preterm baby. Um, And these babies present with tachypnea, but that tachypnea also um, is accompanied with grunting and flaring. They will be they will have some retractions. They will have hypoxemia. So if you're looking at blood gases, their O2 will be low. Um, They're holding on to their carbon dioxide because they're not effectively exhaling. Um, And it it begins pretty soon after birth. So ultimately, these babies end up in a state of respiratory acidosis. So when you think about a baby who maybe is struggling to breathe initially, are you thinking, is it TTN? Mm -hmm. Or do they have respiratory distress because maybe they're preterm or late preterm.
1: Okay. That's really helpful, particularly as you think about what are those risk factors, but the prematurity being really important with this one.
0: Right. And what do we do about that? It's a ton of respiratory support. So whether it's CPAP or um, oxygen that's blow by, you know, they may need intubated, Mm -hmm. but definitely surfactant for babies that we would um, consider with RDS.
1: Okay. That's really helpful. And and the major differentiation is just like how long it sticks around too. Like the work of breathing just wears out these babies. Right. Okay. Exactly.
0: So then a third cl- symptom cluster that really has to do with respiratory kinds of things is MAS, which is meconium aspiration syndrome. And that is just what it is. It's when the baby at time of delivery inhales um, meconium that was present in the amniotic fluid, um and that can produce an inflammatory cascade in the baby.
1: And so this isn't very common, I would guess. I mean, we don't see a ton of meconium aspiration, but it's definitely something to be aware of, particularly in those in those you know, labors that were complicated with meconium staining.
0: Yes. And it's so calm. It's way more common five to 30% in post-term infants that had meconium in the fluid. Okay. Good to know. So it's just something that we, you know, if you have clear fluid, you're not stressed about something like MAS, but you know, that's that 30% is up to a third of babies who have meconium fluid and it's, you know, that's the high end, yeah. but it's still something to be very aware of. And again, those babies don't necessarily look bad at the beginning, but they start to exhibit that inflammatory process as um, their time from birth moves forward, and so they they have tachypnea, they glare or they grunt and they flare and they um, end up in acidosis as well. So we need to be thinking when we're talking about respiratory kinds of things, the history makes a huge difference because. RDS and MAS can look a lot alike. They've got very similar um, symptom clusters that lead you to think like, oh, well, this baby's going to be acidotic. But the history is the key to differentiating the two, whether or not it's a preterm baby, which we probably think of RDS, or there was meconium in the fluid and we think of MAS.
1: This makes me think back to those questions we ask ourselves anytime we walk into a delivery and the things that we learn in NRP about is the baby term... Is it clear fluid? Those questions are so important in the history taking for resuscitation, but then also as we go forward with any newborn care.
0: Yes, I completely agree with that. It's, um, it's our job as midwives to really know what we're walking into so that we can be prepared in our own heads of like what a baby may look like when it gets to the other side. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So you talked about the respiratory kind of symptom clusters. What, what are some others that you think would be really important for most midwives to know?
0: Well, I think another really common thing is hypoglycemia. And I'm going to say this right away because I think people forget that hypoglycemia and hypothermia love each other. Yes. They're friends. They're friends. And the hypothermic baby doesn't have a lot of mechanisms by which to keep itself warm. Babies use non-shivering thermogenesis. They they burn um, that BAT or that brown adipose tissue. And that is not... um, a resource for them that they can continue to use. Once it's gone, it's gone. And so it's really important when you're thinking about hypothermia, those babies can look dusky and they, they can kind of look like they're going downhill quickly and it's just because they're cold.
1: Right. So important to keep babies warm. I mean, obviously, and then be thinking about not only warming them up, but checking their sugar.
0: Right. And when we're talking about warming a baby, we do want to make sure we don't warm a baby too quickly because that can be problematic for their respiratory Mm -hmm. status. And also understanding that I think back in the day, we used to wrap babies in a bunch of warm blankets and put a hat on them and made sure that they were super bundled up. But now we know from what the literature says that really putting them skin to skin with mom with a warm blanket over top of them is actually the best way to warm them.
1: Absolutely. And I feel like we also want to make sure that babies are able to stabilize their temperature, some on their own without all of those layers and without the extra warmth added, what can we do with that skin to skin and what can we do with a light layer over them? Right. And I also
0: think it's, um, like the idea that we don't want to overheat the baby either. Yes. And, um, you know, just make sure that they can temperature regulate. But, you know, the other thing about those little premature babies is they do a really terrible job of also regulating their own temperatures. Yes. So if you've got a late preterm baby, it's important for you to look at that. But like we were saying, the other thing that goes along with hypothermia is hypoglycemia. And, you know, what does an adult look like when they're hypoglycemic? They look tired. They look fatigued. They sometimes have altered mental status. Um, and so when we look at babies, we're thinking for some of those, like, sim- similar things. Mm-hmm. Now, these babies can be irritable. They can have tremors. Um, they can have changes in level of consciousness, which is
1: hard to, to measure from a baby. And really hard to measure in those first few hours. Yes. Especially
0: yeah. because you don't know if they're in a period of reactivity or a peri- period of decreased responsiveness, right? Um, they can have very high-pitched cry, but they can also be limp and sort of lethargic. So um, again, they can also have some um, respiratory depression when they start
1: to get um, very hypoglycemic. So I'm guessing in those first few hours after birth, if you have a baby exhibiting any of these different symptoms, you're wanting to think, what is their temperature? What is their blood sugar? And going to those pretty quickly, because it can be a pretty quick fix if we pick up on a low blood sugar or low temp.
0: Yes. Those are the easiest things for us to correct. And also it doesn't require a ton of um, invasive testing to decide if that's really what the problem is.
1: That's great. Yeah.
0: So, and then I think the other cluster that it's really important for us to think about is that of of group B. And again, here I am talking about how much the history is important for what it is that we're trying to accomplish, which is, do we know the mom's group B status? And so we're, we're much more aware if they have an unknown group B status and maybe haven't gotten adequate treatment. um, Because we do a good job as midwives of making sure that our patients get the right amount of antibiotic and when they need it, when we know their group B status. Absolutely. But really, because of the guidelines that we have, like group B cluster,
1: like actually group B disease in a neonate is actually on the decline. Yeah. It's not very common at all, especially as people have stayed longer after birth, but we certainly still have those situations where we have an unknown status or, or even, you know, that maybe they have an early discharge. And so we want to be aware.
0: And those babies that do end up with GBS disease are generally late preterm babies that we have an unknown GBS status on. And so that's more common in the literature. Um, And with these, with group B, what you'll see is a ton of these babies are asymptomatic. And when we think about early presentation of group B, it's usually within the first 24 hours of life, but up to two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then late presentation of GBS is that like three week mark on.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: And so we do give antibiotics in labor if we know their status. And, um, but what, what babies look like with GBS. And I think that this is important to remember is these babies look infected. So we've talked a bit about what respiratory clusters look like, and then the clusters for hypovolemia and hypothermia. This is another cluster of symptoms where you should be thinking your baby's infected. And that means they have a fever. They're tachypneic. They're tachycardic. Those are all things that we as adults look like when we are when
1: we're not feeling low or we have an infection. Missy would uh, so it feels like with the fever sometimes they also might be really low like it's just that unstable temperature would would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. You also can have a very low temperature. Now, if
0: you have a baby that's seizing, they are in they have GBS disease. So seizures are a really late sign of GBS. But it can progress to septicemia. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need blood cultures on those babies. They have to be very carefully monitored. Um, so you're looking at a baby who maybe looks infected. And when you're thinking about infection, there's a whole realm of infections that babies can have. So we think about torch infections, right? Mm-hmm. GBS is really the more common of the infections, so rather than going straight to TORCH, which are kind of the zebras, you know, look at what the more common infections are. Yeah, I
1: agree. I feel like when we think we might have an infected baby, we are presumptively treating them for GBS and then looking to see if there's any other infections. Would you agree? I would agree.
0: Um, I think that there are lots of other sort of important newborn assessment topics. Um, these, but these symptom clusters are not just beneficial for students who are going into their certification exam, but I think they're just really important clinical pearls for practicing midwives.
1: Yeah, and we talk a lot in many different topics that we present on about how important it is to know consultation, collaboration, and referral with our physician colleagues and other healthcare professionals. And I'm, I'm guessing you would agree with me that midwives need to know normal, and they need to know when there's deviations from normal, and when we might need to seek consultation, collaboration, or referral.
0: Yes. And when you see babies who have these kinds of symptom clusters, absolutely um, collaborative care or referral to peds or neonatology is absolutely indicated. Um, You know, a hypoglycemic or hypothermic baby, we can handle. Mm -hmm. And the nurses um, and the other providers will be great about helping to handle those situations. But I think when you're getting to MAS that has you know, a significant symptom cluster or even GBS with a significant symptom clusters, you know, that's the time that we need to refer on.
1: And when we get to, you know, oxygen supplementation and helping with um, respiration, that sort of thing, it's it's so important to think about our other colleagues that can help us out.
0: Right. And the respiratory support will be important for any of those respiratory kinds of... Um, symptom clusters. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, this was really helpful talking about clusters today. And, you know, we'd love to hear what other newborn topics would be helpful for people to hear about because we do know the newborn can be um, one of the more, you know, uncomfortable topics for people if they're not around newborns a lot.
0: Right. It's funny. When I was in midwifery school, I trained at a really high volume hospital in Atlanta. And when I was bored, they had nine nurseries. So I would go to the nurseries and just say to the nurse, like, hey, do you have any babies that have any you know, deviations or birthmarks or anything. and the nurses are so excited to teach that they will show you all of their babies and they will you know help you understand the assessment points. And so for students who are in clinical, it's always a great
1: opportunity to, like use that resource. Yeah, and assess every single baby that you catch, right? Like any anytime that you can take a look at babies, I also think just getting familiar with what the normal Uh, newborn reflexes are so great use those assessment skills and learn about babies
0: yes and the um also just for practicing midwives even like if your colleagues have delivered a baby that um potentially has some deviation like have them show you like learn from the opportunities that you have you said assess every baby and i always say yes and look at every placenta we do love our placenta we do love placentas
1: we'll get to that in another episode. We were so glad you guys joined us today and we hope you learned as much as I did. Thanks so much, Missy, for uh, sharing all that you know about newborn care.
0: Yeah, no problem. See you soon.
1: Take care.